amen. Thank you so much, Ken, for leading us in prayer and the reading of the word. Thank you, Jason and the worship team for preparing our hearts this morning. Good morning, everybody. Excited to be here with you today. My name is Blake Godsey. I serve as the kids pastor here. I'm glad to be here with you at this, the end of our Advent series. So we've been talking about some of these just emotions that come up for us during Christmas, and uh, we're looking forward now to Christmas Eve on Friday where we can worship together and celebrate Jesus' birth. Now, as we do approach Christmas, I wonder how many of you out there are just big-time Christmas people. You're the type who, yeah, lots of hands. I'm not surprised. You're the type of person that, uh, as soon as it's socially appropriate, or maybe even before then, you're getting the Christmas stuff out of the attic, right? You're unboxing it. You're decorating the house inside and out. Everything is just so. You've got the tree. You've got everything. You've got your nativity scene. Everything is out. And you know, maybe it stays there till March. Who knows? You know, you love it that much. Or maybe it's the gifts that you really love about Christmas. Not even necessarily receiving them, but you just love giving gifts. You love being the type of person who can give the perfect present. Even to that person that everyone says nobody can buy a present, that they like to have everything, but you can always find it. Or maybe there's a certain Christmas treats that you enjoy around this type of year. Maybe you're a hot chocolate person, an eggnog person. Maybe you love some chocolate-covered pretzels or some peppermint bark, and you look forward to them all year when they're back on the shelves and you can have them. Or maybe you're just, you just really love that family time. You love when everybody's willing to just kind of drop whatever's going on in their lives to come gather together, share a meal, have some fun, open presents. But of course, we know that eventually the Christmas season passes, and those things that we took out of the boxes, they got to go back into the box. We got to put them back in the attic till next year. And those gifts, it was really fun seeing that person open that gift or to receive that really great gift, but that feeling eventually kind of passes as well. And that food that you were so excited about now, you're totally sick of. You don't want to see it again for another year until Christmas comes again. And maybe that family time wasn't everything that you'd quite hoped for it. Maybe there was arguing. Maybe people who have been there in the past weren't there. Maybe there was somebody missing at your Christmas. And as time goes on, we realize more and more that once we get to the new year, those same struggles, those same issues that we had before Christmas are still there when we get to the new year. The excitement of the Christmas season wears off, and we realize more and more this isn't how it's supposed to be. So what we need is not a joy that's based in decorations or presents or food, drink, even family time, but we need a joy and a gladness that's not just going to get us through the Christmas season, but something that's going to get us through the entire year, that's going to meet us where we are, not pretend to cover up those hurts, but to meet us in the midst of those hurts. And in our Advent series so far, we've been talking about some of those hurts and struggles that the people in the first Christmas went through. We talked about some of the sadness, the fear, and the loneliness that they experienced. And we know that we have these in our lives too. But today we're going to talk about how the waiting, the expectation, the yearning of the Advent season is ultimately met when Jesus comes and enters into all of that into our lives. So like Ken said, we're going to be in Luke 2 today, starting in verse 8. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So we start off this passage with a surprise. It's just normal group of shepherds keeping watch over their flock, keeping them safe when all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears. The glory of the Lord appears. And as we see commonly in Scripture, we've already seen it in Luke with Zechariah and Mary. They, their first reaction is fear. They don't know what this means. They don't know what to do. The appearance of a heavenly being is not an everyday occurrence. They are afraid. In fact, this Greek construction for their fear is actually, they were afraid a great fear. So it doesn't sound really good in English. That's why we say they were filled with great fear. But it's this emphatic idea. They were terrified. They didn't know what to do. And we actually see this similar construction in Mark when uh, Jesus was with the disciples on a boat during the middle of a storm and Jesus calms the storm. The disciples' reaction to Jesus is actually that they were afraid, a great fear. They said, who is this that even calms the wind and the waves? Who is this person. So we see they were very afraid, but as the angels are always so kind to do, they say, fear not. No way. You don't need to be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you. In fact, I've got good news of great joy for you. And based on the description that these, this angel gives of this child, these shepherds would have seen the significance of this child. They wouldn't say, okay, we just got a normal birth that we're announcing. The terms that the angel uses to describe this child invoke this sense of of incredible joy and hope. So the child is described as Savior, Christ, and Lord. So Savior probably would have conjured up this idea of someone who would bring a physical deliverance, somebody that would have rescued them from their enemies, but it would have this spiritual component that this was a person sent by God. So if you're familiar at all with the book of Judges, they might have called to mind something like a judge. So in the book of Judges, we have this cycle that takes place. The people of God turn from him. They turn to idolatry. Then they are conquered by a foreign nation. They cry out to God for help, and God would send a deliverer who would not only deliver them from the political enemies, but would reignite this passion for the worship of God. Though, of course, we call it a cycle for a reason, then they'd fall back into idolatry, and we'd start it all over again. People like Gideon or Samson, maybe people you've heard of that were judges. These deliverers that were sent by God to not only promote political freedom, but also this renewing of worship of God. And then this child is also called the Christ. This is the word for the Messiah. So this Savior, this Deliverer is not just a Savior, a Deliverer. This is the Savior, the Deliverer, the one we've been waiting hundreds of years for. He's here. He's been born. The shepherds would have recognized the significance that their parents, their ancestors would have longed for the day when they could say the Messiah had been born. And they get to hear this glad announcement, this reference to the city of David conjures up. This is a Messiah, this is the person in the line of David, this Davidic king who was promised to return. And they would have known this is the one that we've been waiting for. And then even calling this child Lord. This idea that this child, he's not just a savior, he's the savior, he's the Messiah, but he's also called Lord. 
they probably wouldn't have even fully understood what that meant, that they would one day call him Lord. But we know that it's this incredible truth that this baby is not just an ordinary baby, but he is God. So the angel then tells the shepherds, this is who you're going to look for, because you have to imagine they were not looking for Jesus as he was. So they say it's a child in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, I have a three-month-old, so I'm very familiar with the swaddling cloth, okay? It's uh, nothing too spectacular, though ours does have Velcro, which is very helpful. It's more like a straitjacket sometimes. But they definitely wouldn't have expected to see this child lying in a manger. That's a feed trough where animals eat their food out of. They would have expected, all right, where's the nearest palace? Where's the nearest government building? At least there must have been room for them in the inn, right? We, of course, know. We know that was not their story, that instead it was here in this barn, in this manger. They would not have expected to find the Savior in a feed trough. And I think it's at least worth asking the question, too, why did God send this message to shepherds? Why are shepherds the people that are getting this announcement from the angels? It doesn't really seem to add up, right? Maybe, some people have said maybe it's because God wanted to show that he came for even the lower crust of society, that even the least in society were important and needed to hear this announcement. Some would say that these people would have been maybe regarded by religious leaders as sinners. So it shows that, it foreshadows Jesus' ministry that he came to save sinners. And both of those things are undeniably true. God does care for the lowest in society. God did come to save sinners. But we also have to recognize that there is some significance to the imagery of the shepherd in Scripture. In fact, many of our Old Testament heroes started out as shepherds. One that comes to mind is Moses in Exodus 3. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So Moses, when he's called, and we know this story of the burning bush, this is when God is going to call on Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. Before that call, he was a shepherd. He was watching flocks. He's not the only one. We also see this in the life of David. In 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 10, it says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So we see even when uh, God has rejected Saul as the king, and he is anointing a new king, it's not one of the first seven that Jesse thought would be more eligible. It was the youngest. It was this one who was tending the sheep. That was the one who God had chosen. And they're not the only ones. We've also got uh, Abel. Abel was one of the first shepherds we see early in Genesis. 
And if your kids have been coming to SR Kids, they will know if you ask them, uh, why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? They would say because Abel gave the best of what he had and Cain did not. So even early on, we see this faithfulness from a shepherd. And then, of course, the father of all of Israel, Abraham, when he was called, he was a shepherd. In fact, we see in Genesis that he has to separate his flock from lots because his flocks are so big and their land can't sustain both their flocks. They've got to separate. And then also Joseph, you know, the guy with the coat of many colors, right? He did a lot more than that. He had more than a coat of many colors. He'd eventually deliver all his people, right? But when he started out, his brothers were jealous of him. He was a shepherd. And it doesn't even stop there. We see, and we, what we saw when we were studying in John, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, that he takes care of his sheep. And even the word for pastor comes from the word for shepherd. This is an incredibly important theme that we see in Scripture. Uh, Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, says, Shepherds in Scripture picture the lowly and humble who respond to God's message. Not the people that you would expect, not the people the world would expect, but the people who are humble and respond in obedience to God's call. That's, so when we think about it that way, it's, of course, Jesus was announced to shepherds. Of course, this is who the angel told. This is a theme that we see throughout scripture. In fact, some of the people that we might have expected to be the ones told in scripture actually have some of the worst responses. Let's look in Matthew 2 at verse 16, when Herod, who was given authority as a king of sorts by the government of Rome, let's see how he responds. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So the person you might have expected to be told about the birth of this Messiah didn't respond with humility or obedience, but with pride and with anger and with vengeance, taking out a whole population of young boys just for the hope that he wouldn't be rivaled as king. And it's here that we see the values of the kingdom of God are not the things we might expect. The values of the kingdom of God are not wealth or power or charisma or intelligence. And that's why these things cannot bring us lasting joy. But the values of the kingdom are humility and obedience and faith. And we'll talk in a bit about how these do bring us lasting joy. So after this announcement, we get a, a picture into this miraculous scene, starting in, back in Luke 2, starting in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So a choir of angels comes to accompany this messenger angel. It's as if heaven itself cannot contain the joy of the birth of the Savior. A lot of times we read this passage, you may see it in sort of a Christmas pageant or things, we read it very muted, very solemn. We want to maybe give the angel some dignity, but you have to think there must have been incredible excitement and joy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a great announcement that is. This peace that the angels proclaim here is this peace between God and man. 
This peace that's made possible by the work of this Savior that has been born. We look around in our world, we know that we don't have peace with one another. We know that peace does not reign on the earth. But between us and God, through Jesus, we do have that possibility of peace between God and man. And out of the overflow of that relationship, we have the ability for peace among one another. Those of us gathered here today who believe in the name of Jesus, we have a unity and a peace that surpasses anything of this world because it is rooted in one who's made peace between us and God. And so this peace, it comes to those with whom he is pleased or people of his good favor. It's this idea that those who would respond in obedience to Jesus, these are ones with whom God has made peace. He is pleased with those who will hear about the birth of this Savior and they will respond with joy, that they'll respond with humility and obedience. So as the angels depart, we see how the shepherds are going to respond. We're going to see that this, do the shepherds hold up to this theme in the Bible of how God's people have responded. Starting back in verse 15 in Luke 2 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So just as we see with some of these other shepherds in Scripture, these shepherds respond in obedience. They go to find the child, and everything is just as the angel told them it would be. It may not have been what they expected, but sure enough, they find this Savior, this Christ, this Lord, lying in a manger, surrounded by his family in a barn. And the joy for this child was so great that the shepherds then went and told everybody in Bethlehem. They went and announced what they'd heard from the angels, what they'd seen with their eyes. They went and told everyone. And this is a natural reaction for us, right? When we are overjoyed about something, when we're excited. If you've known anybody who's gotten engaged recently, you know how that process goes. There's a lot of secrecy on the front end, okay? You don't want the person to know when or where they're going to be proposed to. You've got people dressing up in Uh, ghillie suits and leaves hiding in the grass so they can take some good photos without being seen, right? It's all secretive, all secretive until goes down on one knee, opens the box, she says yes, and then boom, excitement everywhere. I gotta put it on social media. I gotta call all the really important people. We gotta have a party. You know what? We can't wait. There better be a party back home. When we get there, it better all be set up. We have got to celebrate this now. That's how we react to Good news. That's our natural reaction to good news. And that's what the shepherds do here. They were overjoyed. And the people who heard the message, they were amazed. It says they wondered. It's not like they were wondering, like they were pondering, like I wonder if that happened. It's more like they were filled with wonder. They were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They couldn't believe that it was true. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to lose the amazement of Jesus' birth. When we're celebrating the Christmas season, it can be easy for us to lose the wonder and awe that comes with it. Sometimes I think it's because we know the whole story. 
We know how all of this goes. We know that Jesus is going to live a perfect life. We know he's going to willingly die on the cross, that he's going to rise from the dead, that we're going to have the opportunity to be reconciled to God through faith in his name. Sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who are hearing this announcement for the first time. Well, let's just try that here this morning. The situation for God's people at the time, they were experiencing political turmoil after being exiled in 586 BC to Babylon. They returned from the exile about 70 years later, but after that, it was one country after another had their thumb on the nation of Israel, Persia, Greece, Rome, when we come to this story. They're in political turmoil. Things are changing, and it's not just affecting the government, it's affecting their spirituality. There's a spiritual dryness amongst God's people, not only because maybe they're pressured to conform to the ideals of the nation that's ruling them, but it's been 400 years since a prophet of God had come to these people. The book of Malachi, between then and the story of Jesus' birth, about 400 years that they hadn't heard from a prophet of God. They had this promise of a Messiah that had gone unfulfilled. You have to imagine that many of them were wondering, would he ever come? But when we look at our own situation, ours is not truly so different than ours. There's political turmoil in our nation. There's spiritual dryness in our nation as people leave the church, leave a life of following God, as churches leave a faithful ministry of Scripture by the means of the Holy Spirit and turn to more cultural values. We have a promise of Jesus' second coming that is yet unfulfilled. And then go ahead and add to that whatever it is that you're experiencing personally here today as you sit there in your chair. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's one of these three things we've talked about during our series, that sadness, that fear, loneliness. Maybe those things are afflicting you here today. With all of those things, it can be easy for us to lose the amazement of Jesus' birth, because sometimes we don't see how it meets us in our everyday lives. We don't understand, what does that have to do with me? But the end of this story gives us some insight. Picking up in verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we see here in verse 21, it seems maybe just kind of like a a side note, like, oh, okay, what's important about that? It's very important for the person of Jesus who was obedient to the covenant law, the covenant God had made with his people, this law and this sign of circumcision. He and his family were obedient. They were law-abiding people that obeyed this covenant that God had made with his people. It's very important for who Jesus is as a, a human. But what we see here that happens to the people, I think, gives us some really good insight on how Christ's birth meets us where we are. Mary sees all these things. She ponders them in her heart. She's wondering what all of these things mean. What, is, what do all these signs mean? Who is this child? And then she returns to being a mother to taking care of her baby. These shepherds have a renewed sense of joy and hope, but they 
return to their fields. The people who were amazed at what the shepherds told them went back to their lives. The point is this, the joy and the gladness of the birth of the Messiah met these people where they were. In the midst of their mundane and challenging lives, in the midst of their hurts, in the midst of their fears, and the same is true for us today. The birth of Jesus didn't change these people's circumstances. Sure, Mary and Joseph's lives were affected, but they're still dealt with the things that we all deal with. The sadness, the fear, the loneliness, those things still cropped up in their lives. They still cropped up in the people who heard the shepherd's announcement. They still pop up in our lives. These are still things we walk through. Just because Jesus had had been born doesn't mean all these things went away overnight. But the true joy and gladness of Christ's birth is that even though it doesn't change my circumstances, it changes me. And it changes you. It changes us. We see this throughout Scripture, this idea of Jesus entering into our circumstances. Philippians 4, 4 4-7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's this overwhelming clarity in Paul's writing that anxieties still exist. We still have need to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. But in the middle of that, we have this opportunity to rejoice. We have this opportunity to rejoice at this God who came to dwell among us. We also see this in Nehemiah. As the people have returned from the exile, they're hearing the word of the law. They're seeing themselves in comparison to the law, and they're seeing how they don't measure up. Nehemiah 8, 8, 9 through 10 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, And the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We recognize there's still sin and there's still guilt in our lives. We recognize who God is and who we are, and we recognize we are not perfect. We look at the circumstances around us in our lives, we realize it is not perfect, but we have the joy of the Lord. The birth of Jesus reminded people who were at his birth, and it reminds us today that in the midst of our sin, our challenges, our hurts, there is the joy of hope. God himself enters into our lives and brings hope. Now, I mentioned these three values that bring lasting joy, humility, obedience, and faith. And the reason that these can bring us lasting joy is because there is one who has fulfilled them to the utmost. Jesus humbled himself by leaving his place in heaven to be born as a baby, to be laid in a feed trough, and to live a life among us. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father in his time on earth. He was obedient to the point of a torturous death on the cross. He did it for you and he did it for me. And Jesus was and is faithful, 
faithful to God's will and also faithful to us eternally. He's promised he'll never leave or forsake us. So we have the opportunity in the midst of everything going on, wherever you are today, we have the opportunity to respond to Jesus in the same way he responded. We can see Jesus come into our circumstances with unbelievable joy and we can react with the same values that he showed us first. We can humble ourselves to realize our need for a savior. We can be obedient to his call even when others would steer us away, when people would tell us it's not a way worth going. We can be obedient to his call and we can respond with faith, fully confident that this same God who was born, lived a perfect life, died willingly on the cross for our sins, but that wasn't the end. He rose three days later and he ascended to heaven. By faith in his name, we can have eternal life with him. The reason that we can be filled with gladness during the Christmas season is we remember the hope that Christ gave in his first coming. The hope that he gave to those people then is our hope now, and we also look forward with hope to his second coming. Now, if you're here today and maybe God is calling you to a step of obedience, maybe God is calling you to publicly proclaim a faith that is already true in your heart by responding with baptism and being baptized here. Or maybe you've never been to a place, been in a place where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You want to know more about what is this joy that lasts even after Christmas is over, that enters into the midst of my struggles, that changes me. Who is this Jesus? Or maybe you're just recognizing the circumstances around you and you know Jesus is there, he's in the middle of them, but it's still challenging. You need other people coming alongside you, being that biblical community Jesus has called us to. We're going to have prayer partners here at the front. We're going to have elders out in the commons who would love to pray with you, talk to you about baptism, talk to you about placing your faith in Jesus, becoming a Christian. Now, as we finish up this morning, I'd like to just give us a couple of questions just so we can reflect First, what does it say about our God that Jesus came as a child and was announced to shepherds? What does that say about the character of our God? Second, which feelings are coming up for you most this Christmas? And are those the feelings that you want? Third, how does Jesus meet us with joy even in the midst of our struggles and hurts? What does that look like for us in the middle of our struggles and our hurts for Jesus to meet us there? And how does salvation and Jesus and the promise of his second coming give us hope even in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of our circumstances? And finally, who in your life is someone who needs to hear a message of gladness this Christmas? We have this hope, we have this joy, we have this gladness in Jesus because of who he is, because he entered into our world and he's entering into our lives today. And as the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song just to, so we can respond in worship, I'm just going to pray that as wonderful as these things are, that God would just make them true in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are more magnificent than we could ever imagine. That the joy and gladness and hope you bring are more than we can fathom. God, we confess that sometimes the Christmas season becomes mundane and it becomes routine.
and we forget how wonderful and amazing it is that a long-awaited Messiah would come, not in the glory and splendor that would be expected of a human Savior, but in humility as a baby, fully God and fully man. Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you so much that you are willing to enter into the messiness of our lives. You're willing to enter into the struggles and hurts, the disobedience, the sin in our lives. You meet us where, you are, where we are. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that Jesus was humble, obedient, and faithful, and that he remains that. Lord, turn our hearts to be like Jesus, to embrace who Jesus is, to find joy and gladness that lasts forever in this season. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.